0: I'm so excited right now as we continue to worship to introduce to you a friend of mine. One of the greatest things we can do is introduce friends to friends. And, and Dr. Richard Pratt is uh, the founder, the president of Third Millennium Ministries. And what they do is they have theological training and development for church leaders around the world. Uh, Dr. Pratt served as a professor uh, at Reformed Theological Seminary for more than 20 years, 21 years before he received the call, responded to the call to equip the global church. And now Third Millennium Ministries offers world-class seminary-level education in over 25 languages to more than 170 countries in the world, and that's free of charge. There's only one word for that. What's that word? Value. value. And we're glad, Dr. Pratt, we haven't been practicing that for you. Uh, we, we are excited to hear it's uh, our partnership with uh, Third Millennial Ministries uh, is growing, and we're excited about that. They have Third Mill Seminary. Uh, Dr. Perry was here in our first service. He's in the uh, traditional now. He's the president at seminary, and they're going to start offering master's level uh, certificates or uh, degrees uh, in Texas. And First Pres, our physical plant, will be the, the home place for that virtual degree, which is, uh, is an interesting dynamic, but you get it. We serve a lion who's a lamb, so we can understand the paradox of a virtual degree that has a physical place to study. So we're glad you're here, Dr. Pratt. It's rare that uh, we get to hear from a man of his caliber uh, among our midst. You have to put up with me normal Sunday. So we're very grateful you're here. Please welcome Dr. Richard Pratt.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm really glad to be with you. Thanks so much for not running out when he said, when you realized he wasn't preaching. Hey, um, I knew Mitchell in Indonesia. So if you need any bad stories about him, just ask me happy to share. Um, This is a special day in the life of this church. Did you know that? Probably not. Well, last night, um, Brandon and I were downtown on the streets and we could tell it was a special day for them. Yeah. Okay. And um, I'm sorry that you don't know it's also a special day for us. So let me just tell you. This is the weekend that we celebrate the Reformation in 1517, a time when the Church of Jesus came back to some of the most fundamental principles and beliefs that we have that need to be reaffirmed in our day today. And this happened when Martin Luther nailed his theses to the door at the Bittenberg Chapel. And when uh, when that happened, it turned the world upside down all over Europe and elsewhere. And this church is the result of that. Did you know that? Say, yep, I knew that. Yes, I knew that, good. So this is the day, the Sunday that we celebrate that. You can wait, and in fact, it's actually Halloween day is the day that the technical one, October 31st. So when you're handing out candy or whatever you're going to do on the 31st, just, I don't know, say something like Martin Luther. How about that? Or reform. Okay, change your life. Something, I don't know. Do something other than just say, oh, what a cute costume.
2: Yeah.
1: You have Bibles in this room? Or do you project the scriptures on the screen? You do? Okay, good. All right, now here's the dirty trick that Mitchell's played on me most recently. And that is that he asked me to preach from a particular passage that suited his schedule rather than mine, okay, on Reformation Sunday. And of all passages, he chose 1 Corinthians 13 because it fits with the schedule that he and Pastor Bob are following, okay? Now, if, has any, have any of you ever been to a wedding, a Christian wedding? You know, would you raise your hand, please? Okay, good. You've probably heard 1 Corinthians 13 before because it's, we call it the love chapter. It's the love chapter. And when I first got that notice by email, he didn't dare say it to me straight, okay? It was by email. I said, what does 1 Corinthians 13 have to do with the Reformation? I mean, does love and do the words love and Reformation just kind of go hand in hand for you? Well, yeah, probably not. You're weird if they do, okay? <laughs> but, it's a, but it is, um, as I studied and worked on preparing the sermon for today. I discovered that it really does have a lot to do with what we call the principles of the Reformation, especially one. I'm going to give it to you in Latin, okay? Are you ready for it? Sola, can you say that back to me? Sola Scriptura, which means basically that the scriptures alone are our supreme authority in all matters of religious controversy. Ooh, that's a mouthful, wasn't it? Not the opinions of Councils, not the opinions of churches not the even your own private feelings about things but rather that the bible is the guide for us it is infallible and it's our supreme authority and while we can't understand the bible perfectly we still live by that principle and believe me the world today needs to come back to that principle and we do too because when you don't believe that the scriptures are your supreme authority, then you have some serious troubles in your life and they will show themselves in all kinds of ways and you'll wonder, how did I get into all this trouble? And one of the reasons is because you allow the opinions, even your own well-intended opinions to get substituted in for the Bible. You with me on that? Okay, so thank you for letting me do 1 Corinthians 13 on a Reformation day. I think that's what I was supposed to say anyway. He asked me to say that, okay? So thanks a lot, Mitchell. I really appreciate it. Um, If you have heard 1 Corinthians 13, you can go ahead and put it up on the screen. I don't know if it's, is this the same as that? Okay, good. Um, It starts in chapter 13, verse 1, but I want to tell you what happens in the verse just prior to this. If you've been around, you know that your pastors have been preaching about 1 Corinthians and what they've been preaching about most recently, because I've been listening, went online, listened to the sermons so I could figure out what in the world I'm supposed to do. They've been preaching a lot about the fact that every person that follows Christ has been given a gift of Holy Spirit in their lives, a strength that they can use in service to other people. And that's a wondrous, glorious thing. Um, because, you know, many times we don't feel like we have that much to offer. But if you are in Christ, you have a lot to offer because you have Holy Spirit living in you. So thank God for that. But what's strange about this is that the verse before it, verse 31 of chapter 12, actually says this. Now let me tell you about a better way. What? Let me show you something better than what I've already told you. And that's the way chapter 13 starts off. It reminds me, and a lot of you here are parents of young children. It reminds me of a lot of young children who, when they begin to tumble around and they're learning how to do certain exercises and things, they'll say, watch this. And they'll do something, right? And you go, oh, that's so great. My child is a genius. Okay. (laughs) Magnificent. You're the most magnificent. No, no, no. Wait a minute. I'm going to show you something even better than that. And then they do another little exercise and you say oh that's really good and then they say no wait a minute i'm going to show you something even better than that and on and on they go and you get to the point where you go well is it really better than that well that's what the apostle paul is saying okay wait a minute i'm going to show you something better than what i've already shown you and that is not just simply that you have gifts that need to be shared and that are the signs of god's blessing in your life but that these gifts have to be used in a certain way. And that's why this chapter is called the love chapter, because he says they're to be used with love. Now, rather than read this whole chapter and then go back into it, what we're going to do is just read it in sections. And I'm going to just read a few verses. Can you follow me? Okay. And then go back. Okay. It doesn't make that much difference whether you go back to me or not. Okay. So here's the way it starts off. Listen up now. You see, the things that he lists there, things like tongues and prophecy and knowledge and generosity of giving all your money away, and even the gift of martyrdom, yes, it's a gift to be martyred for the sake of Christ. He says all these things are fine, but they come in pairs. They're paired with something. Now, imagine yourself, I know most of you probably went to prom, right? Everybody here go to prom? That's old enough to have gone to prom, okay. Well, remember you got dressed, you got all the fancy clothes, you got dressed and you probably came down the stairs for your parents to take a picture right, out of your bedroom. Your mom's saying, wait a minute, I gotta have a picture. Okay, so there you are standing there. But suppose you walked out and you only had one shoe on. Would she have taken your picture? Would she? No, you don't have to go to sleep. You can keep talking. This is the contemporary service, okay? No, she wouldn't have taken, she wouldn't have taken your picture. She would have said, where's your shoe? And you would have said maybe, well, I couldn't find it. That's okay. I'll figure something out. I'll wear my tennis shoes or something. You know, I'll do something. And she would say, of course, no way. Those shoes come in pairs. Go find the other half of the pair, right? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is no good unless you have two shoes on your feet. One of them might be this great gift that you have, this great commitment you have, the zeal you have. And everybody's astonished. You especially things like I've got a lot of knowledge, I've really studied the Scriptures a lot, or I'm really generous. Want to see how much money I've given away this year? Or I'll go to some place that's dangerous to serve Christ. All those things that we can admire and ought to admire in each other, but he says if it's not paired with love, then it is how much nothing, nothing. That's very bold, shocking in fact. So why in the world would he, would he ever say it? I mean, what would lead him to say something that would be so counterintuitive? Surely it's a good thing if I give away a lot of money, even if I don't love the people I'm giving it to. Surely that's at least halfway, right? Nope, it's just like mom, go back and find that other shoe because you're not leaving this house until you get both shoes on. You gotta have love paired with the gifts that you have why would he say such a thing? that's as radical and as a, a well it just interrupts everything you might think about yourself the reason is is because sola what scriptura paul knew the bible and he knew something about the bible all the way back even in the days of moses and that is that moses said not just that you should love god But he also said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Imagine such a thing as that. It's in your favorite book in the Bible, Leviticus, and your favorite chapter in Leviticus, (laughs) chapter 19, okay? But love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's a famous verse because our King Jesus referred to it. Because someone came up to him, a lawyer, got any lawyers in here? Yeah, that's right. We're all supposed to go, ooh, a lawyer (laughs) came up to Jesus and he said, Jesus, tell me the greatest commandment. Out of all the commandments in the Bible, what's the greatest? He answered and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And the second is like it. I can imagine the lawyer going, oh no, I didn't ask for two. I only asked for one. But Jesus could not keep his mouth shut. He said the second one, the second greatest commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see what's common between the two commandments? L-O-V-E. And why is that so prominent? It's because our love for God and our love for people form the motivations that we have. Why we do what we're doing. And you know what it's like if you get some old Scrooge that Christmas time that gives you a, an expensive gift and he lets you know how painful it was for him to give it to you. It kind of ruins the gift, doesn't it? Yeah, you'll never, I'll never pay this bill off because of the thing that you just got at Christmas time, you're sort going of to go, wow, that's really cool, I think. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, because the motivation that a person has when they use what God has given them is essential to using what God has given them. And not just the motivations, but the goals. That is the impact, the effect that you want to have in someone's life. The outcome of acting in a certain way or using your gifts were for someone else. It requires the other shoe. And that other shoe is true for every single aspect of your life. Now, I don't know if you realize this, did you know this is a Presbyterian church? (laughs) Did you know that? You gotta be careful about Presbyterians. I am one by choice, so that makes me a real one. Are you with me? Okay. But what Presbyterians like to do is to do the right thing. It doesn't matter why you do it. It doesn't matter how you do it. It Doesn't matter when you do it. Just do the right thing. If you can just get your religion down to a set of rules and obey those rules, then everything will be great. Well, Jesus is saying, no. Jesus is saying that the motivation of caring about the people you're serving is just as important as the actions Doing the right thing with the right motive of love is essential to who we are as followers of Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, I just exposed us to you. Did you hear me do that? I hope you heard that. We are not good at this. We have a long, long trip to go to where we can actually say, you know, I think I'm doing what I do because I love the people around me. It's, it's a long trip for a lot of us. So be patient with us. But we know one thing, and that is that the authority of the Bible, Reformation, 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 the authority of the Bible says, you gotta have both shoes on your feet. And we're gonna get there by God's grace. Okay, so there it is right up front. Weird as it is, you gotta have love if you're going to do what the Lord wants you to do with your life. But let's take a second step because the apostle won't leave it at that. You see, he knew something about these Corinthians. He knew that they were full of arrogance toward each other. They didn't really care about each other. They were dividing the church. They were like stepping on each other to show that they were more spiritual than the person next to them. And he also knew something else about them. He knew that love was an important word in that Greco-Roman world, that Hellenistic world that they lived in in the first century. Love, love. Oh my goodness. If they could have put hearts all over everything like we do today, they would have put hearts all over everything. But they talked about it all the time. Love this, love this, love this. We live in a day very much like that. Have you noticed it? That... Commercials come on TV and they tell us, all you need is love. What makes the world go around and round, Love. What makes your life make sense? Love. I mean, have you noticed how, much, how many times popular songs are all about love and losing love? And so on and so forth it goes. And one of the most popular slogans right now in our culture is this, love is love. Don't bother me with any details on this. Don't bother me with who I'm loving. Don't bother me with how I'm loving them. Love is love. And what that basically means in our culture is much like it meant in the Corinthian culture. And that's this. If you feel good about it, do it. If it gives you pleasure, do it. If you're into it and you're going to be excited for a little while because of it, call it love and it's perfectly fine welcome to the United States of America today, because today we are going back to our pagan roots, the pagan roots of the Corinthians. And that is that love is basically a hedonistic term. It has to do with pleasure. It has to do with you fulfilling your desires and often at the expense of other people, at the expense of your family, at the expense of children. Why do we do that? Well, it's love. You can't control that, can you? And so the apostle Paul addresses this for the Corinthians and he actually defines love. He gives them a definition. And this definition comes from, well, primarily from the book of Proverbs to tell you the truth, but it also comes from the life of Jesus the example that Jesus gives as a loving person. And these are the things he says, beginning at verse four, listen to how he defines love, not as pleasure, not as getting what makes you feel whole. Listen to what he says. Love is love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. Or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's quite a list, isn't it? I didn't see the word pleasure in there anywhere, did you? I didn't see self-fulfillment in there anywhere, did you? I didn't see hidden hedonism in there either, did you? No. Now, if you've been to these Christian weddings where they recite this, these, these are the verses they usually recite, these right here, then, we, we, then you know them, but they're so, they're so well known that we can kind of skip over them and not even realize what they're saying. So what I want to do is go back to it. Let's just take some of these terms and let me just give you a little sort of snippet of what these words mean. Okay, I'm going to put them in a little bit different terminology. And this will be according to the original language and that kind of thing. So you can kind of rely on it. And if you don't believe me, go look it up. It'd be fine. (laughs) Love is patient. That patient doesn't mean you give up on trying to help somebody with their problems and with their needs. Rather, the word patience means steadfast, enduring, going for the long game with somebody. A lot of you have people in your family that are wandering from the Christian faith and they're wandering in desperate ways. And you want to talk with them once and see it fixed. But Paul says, many things take a long time. My wife is constantly reminding me constantly that my grandchildren need an enduring love from me. She says, rich, this thing called grandchildren is a long game, not a short game. That's true of every parent in here and every grandparent in here. And it's true of every friend in here. Friendship requires patience, kindness. Well, kind means it's kind of like the opposite of what's fair. You know, when even little children will say, well, that's not fair. And you say, shut up, life's not fair. Okay, so why? But we all feel that, don't we? When we're mistreated, when we have to endure something that's not fair, we kind of go, what? This isn't right. I'm gonna stand up for what's fair. Kindness says, I'm not going after what's fair. I'm going after what's abundant toward you. Can you imagine how our politics in this country would be changed if we started practicing that? Love does not envy or boast. Of course, you don't do that in church. And you don't do that in public. But now take the camera home with you. Let it run for a while. And let somebody watch it. Do you think they'd hear from you? Did you see what they have? Did you see what they bought? Do you see where they live? Why can't I live like that? What do we call that? Envy boasting. If somebody would just know how good I really am, it would make a huge difference in this world. Boasting. That's how that's not love. It is not arrogant. We all know arrogant people and it's not rude. Husbands, wives, think about how rude you can be to your spouse. I know you get tired. I do too. And I mess up with this as well. But when I'm rude to my wife, it is not love. It's, it does not insist on its own way. Oh, oh. It is not irritable, even when you have a headache, or resentful. It does not rejoice when somebody else suffers. You know that old German word, Schadenfreude, joy in someone else's pain and suffering? It doesn't do that. That's not like, don't go, (laughs) I knew they'd get it one day. I knew they would. They deserved it too. Right, honey? Right. That's right. I'm so glad to see it. Yeah, me too. But instead, it rejoices with the truth. When you see people come to the truth that's in Christ and the ways of Christ, then you rejoice. You don't rejoice when they go the wrong path. Now, listen to these last things. Love bears all kinds of things. That means it puts up with a lot. You do your best to just put up with a lot. You don't always have to correct the people around you. You kind of give them a break. Don't you need a break? Give them a break. It believes all things. It does its best to, to take people at their word rather than being a cynic. Yeah, that, well, what did you say last week? You said that last week. Well, give me a break. I'm trying. I'm trying. It hopes all things. Well, maybe this time it'll be better. And it endures all kinds of things. So now let me ask you this question. It's a simple question for those of you who follow Jesus. Aren't you glad that Jesus treats you with love? I mean, where would you be? Where would you be today? If Jesus held you to the standards that you hold your spouse to or your employer to, or your employee or your fellow church member here, doesn't he put up with a lot from you with a lot of hope? Maybe this time she'll get it right. Doesn't he endure all kinds of things with gentleness and patience and kindness? Doesn't he have the long game in mind with you and me? He surely does. And where would we be without it? Well, brothers and sisters, this is the word of God giving you the definition of love. When the world around you tells you every single day, that's not love. That's allowing yourself to be a victim. That's not love. That's being naive. I'll tell you what love is. Is hearing birds sing when you walk past a person, is feeling the enzymes and the hormones running through your blood when you run past a person. Well, that lasts about 18 months, so hang in there because in 18 months, you're either going to have to split up or you're going to have to start loving each other. Thanks be to God that Jesus actually loves us, whether the butterflies are there or not. Okay, so the apostle says, You got to wear two shoes when you're a Christian. Your gifts, yes, that's great, but you got to have the other shoe, which is love. love. And what is love? Love is all these things he just listed out there. And it's so contrary to what his world believed, and it is absolutely, absolutely contrary to what our world believes today. So why should we believe it? Why should we? give ourselves over to this view of love rather than what the world screams in our ears every single moment? The answer is because it is in the Holy Scriptures and Jesus loved those scriptures and we love him and we are going to follow them because he did. But then the apostle takes one more step in this passage, which I absolutely just blows my mind in many respects. It starts in verse eight, love never ends for prophecies. They will pass away as for tongues. They will cease as for knowledge. It will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, that means when you either die or when Jesus comes back, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. There's something that happens to people when they get to be as old as me. I'm as old as the mountains, okay? I'm glad. I don't know that anybody in here is older than me today. I'm not going to tell you how old I am. It's embarrassing. I used to be married to an old woman of 70, She's six, year, she's six months older than I am, okay? So half a year, she's always my old lady, okay? And the other half of the year, I'm the old man. You got it? So I'm just waiting for six months to go by so she can be the old lady again and I can be the youth group in our family. it will be great. <laughs> but something happens to you when you get this old. You realize life doesn't go on for very long. It's gonna be a miracle if I live another 10 years. My grandson believes I'm one of the immortals he honestly believes that (laughs) what an idiot (laughs) I said I said Caleb that's in the movies and in the comic books that's not real life brother okay I told him that as I was about to go to Indonesia because I always have a serious conversation with him when I take these long trips and I say I may not come back but I want you to know something I'm doing what Jesus, Jesus has called me to do. And so it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it if I die on this trip and you rejoice as best you can in it. Oh, don't worry, Pops, you're immortal.
2: <laughs>
1: okay, well, as you get older and you realize you're not immortal anymore, you begin to realize that you have to sort of change your priorities and you have to start thinking about not what's helping me today, but rather what's going to help me in the long term you with me on this idea? And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I got a PlayStation and I thought, man, this is unbelievable. It's now fixed my life, (laughs) right? I mean, it's just unbelievable. I've spent every day on this thing. This is ecstasy. It's fantastic. Uh, But when you're as old as I am, you realize that's just a piece of plastic. Some of you are at the stage where you think, if I can just climb the ladder a little bit more, then life will be good. That's plastic too. You need to start setting your priorities around the fact that you're not going to live forever. Jesus is going to come back one day and things are going to be very different. So everything you think is important now is going to fade away. Everything that you think is good worth living for. It's going to fade away. Knowledge, gifts of various sorts, prophecy, even tongues, if you speak in tongues, it's all going to fade away. And it's going to happen quicker than you can imagine. I got married at 19. I blinked twice. I'm a grandfather about to die. I said, can I get an amen from that one from somebody? That's how fast it will go for you too. Trust me. So it's, it's a wise person who gets his or her priorities straight now. These things will pass away. But notice what he says here. I love this in verse 19, of me, 13. He says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. All right, faith. Faith means trusting in Jesus for your salvation. Now, if you're here today and you haven't trusted Jesus for your salvation, it's a free gift All you have to do is entrust yourself to him. Give yourself to him and you will be born again. You'll become a new creature and you'll be headed toward the kind of destiny you cannot even imagine how fantastic it's going to be in the new world that he's going to give you. It's going to be crazy, unbelievable faith, hope. Well, we do keep hope alive because life is troubling. Life has difficulties, but we say, you know, it's not going to be this way forever. A new world is coming. But do you realize that one day faith will not be necessary for you? Faith will become sight. Hope will not be necessary for you. Hope will become reality for you. So faith and hope, they're good. They hang in there over the course of a lifetime, but even they vanish But then he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because love that we have now will extend even to the day when Jesus comes back again. When you go to be with Christ at your death, you will be embraced by his loving arms You will be reunited with those that you loved on this planet, and it will be one great love feast. And when Jesus returns in glory and creates a new world, it's going to be a world full of love between us and God and us and Jesus and us and each other. What we're doing now is preparing ourselves. You see the priority for the world to come. And what could be more important than the thing that's going to last forever And that thing that's going to last forever is love. So when the apostle says here, you've got to have both shoes on your feet. Gifts are great, but you've got to love people with the right motives and the right goals. And this is the definition of love. Don't be fooled by the world into thinking that pleasure is the definition of love. This is the definition of love. And when you ask, well, how important is it really for me to highlight that in my life and to make it central in my Christian daily walk? The answer is absolutely essential because faith and hope as important as they are are going to pass away. But one thing will endure from this life to the end and forever. And that is the love that we've been given for each other in Christ. Do you see why he said, hey, 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 I know what I've been writing in these previous chapters is really good but I got something better than that to show you. Watch, I got something really good to show you this time. This is the heart of it, the heart of love. May God grant all of us the ability to submit our minds and our hearts, our actions to the word of God, sola scriptura, further the Reformation today by the authority of the Bible, believing something like this, that is so contrary to everything that the world tells us. And you will be blessed. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we adore you. We adore you because you fulfilled all these things in your own life and exemplified them for us in ways that are, well, they're beyond imagination. How we call you our teacher, how we call you our leader, how we call you our king because we trust no one like we trust you. So now, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Write these words in our hearts that we may never sin against you, that we'll remember them and be empowered by the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead for us to walk in newness of life. May we come to that point in our lives even today where love is what abides. Amen. Thanks so much, Richard.
2: And let's all stand and respond to that word together. We're going to invite our prayer team forward. They'll be in the corner of the room over here. If you want someone to pray uh, with you and for you during this time, we invite you to do so. But let's respond together with this song. It's all about the hope uh, that we have and the love of Christ. Hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. on oh Christ. Oh, Christ the Son. Hey. Right. Trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found just in his righteousness alone fallless to stand before the throne fall, this. fall this. fallless to stand And if the gift is suffering and we
0: It's a gift tonight. We have another opportunity just to remind you at 6.32 p.m. in the sanctuary, Callan will have the whole band. You'll have the whole band. We love the Indigo guys. Don't get us wrong. But we'll have the whole band tonight. We'll be with several different uh, other churches. Uh, that we've partnered with in planning. It's going to be a diverse and fun time of worship. Uh, There will be tattoos up front in the sanctuary. I'll just say that. Um, And it will be a good time of celebration. Uh, Until then, we go out with God's The Lord's benediction. We'll use the benediction that Paul gives at the end of 2 Corinthians. If you're able to raise your hands, we symbolize that we have nothing but the word of God, the blessing of God through the power of God. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort for one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and of peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.
1: Friends, thank you again for worshiping with us here at First Presbyterian Church San Antonio. For more information on ways to get involved in our various ministries, please refer back to the website and follow us on all of our social media platforms. It was so wonderful to be with you today. May God continue to bless you in the days ahead. See you soon.